Also available on the Frank Horror channel, Frank Horror presents Sinner's Moon, a seven-episode limited horror fiction series. Suitable for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Horror Analysis, a podcast that takes a psychological deep dive into all things horror and macabre. Here are your hosts, Frank Horror, writer, director, filmmaker, and podcaster with a background in counseling psychology, and Dr. Elliot Rotman, a clinical psychologist with a background in acting and the arts. So we have talked at length about a lot of different subgenres of horror. And one of the things that is apparent is that there are no clear distinctions. A lot of them can blend and bleed into each other, no pun intended. You may have something that's a body horror, and it may have a supernatural component. It may have a cosmic horror component. I think the subgenres are much, much more fluid in terms of how well they go together. But every now and then you see some intrepid person blend genres, not just subgenres. So they'll pair horror with something like comedy or action or romance. And so I wanted to take a look at that and see, just kind of look at the blends of the major genres and how well they work with horror. Well, I think in terms of movies, uh, if you go back to the, I guess, 1940s, when they would pair comedy teams with a monster one of the Hollywood monsters. So you had Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. Doesn't fight him, he just meet you meet him. And I think the Three Stooges did something with meeting Dracula or the werewolf or something. But it became a, a kind of a franchise. So you would take an a, a character such as Frankenstein that was presented in the movie as scary and grotesque or the werewolf and you put them in a situation where they're not so powerful. Where, you know, they're scary, but like on a yikes kind of level, as opposed to anything truly threatening. And you know that the the funny guys aren't really going to get hurt. They'll get scared and they'll do something and they're going to best the uh, the monster. And you get some distance from it. Mm-hmm. So the monster goes from being scary and very dramatic to being kind of silly. Right. It's like you shrink them in in your perspective. It's very Scooby Doo esque. Scooby Doo esque, yes. So that's and that's where I think when you blend a genre with horror, unlike the subgenres, one genre has to take primacy, and so it, it can have elements of both. And it's a it's a hard line to walk with comedy and horror. And I've seen very few films do it well, in my opinion. And the reason is I think it's problematic, and I tend not to like comedy with horror overall with some exceptions, but I think that the both genres, comedy and horror work on building tension. And then there's a catharsis. And with comedy, that catharsis is a laugh with horror. That catharsis is the scare. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you laugh, that's an easier release valve. You're letting out all the tension. So it's hard to make, to keep something that's both horror and, you know, horrific and funny, legitimately scary and funny. Where it works, and and we've talked about this, is in a show like the Santa Clarita Diet, um, which the premise is that this very nice suburban woman um, 
gets infected by this virus or something that turns her into basically a cannibal. Uh, and not for cooked meat, but for off the hoof. And she and but her personality doesn't change, even though she is undead. She's essentially a zombie, but a very sentient one. And she and her husband, who are real estate agents, uh, try to keep things normal and keep things normal for her daughter. So what the show does is it combines gore because she has to hunt people to eat them. But she's trying to make it just part of day to day life. And it's normal. And they joke about it. And there's irony in it. So there are scenes there of genuine gore, such as this guy who was killed and they've got him in their bathtub and trying to figure out what to do with him. And then uh, Drew Barrymore's uh, character says, you know, I could take care of this, meaning she could eat him. And then the twist in the plot is she just couldn't finish him all in one night. And what do we do with the rest of them? Put them in the freezer. But it's combining gore which you might look at it and go, oh, God, there's all this blood and everything, but it's dealing with it in a very matter-of-fact, practical kind of way. So it throws everything together. You've got the, the blood, and literally blood and guts, but talking about it as it's, you know, it's just a pro- another problem to be solved, and we're trying to be nice about it. And so I've not seen this um, series, but it sounds like it makes it funny. It does make it funny. And even though, you know, something bad is going to happen, what the hard, what the uh, humor does, rather, is it mitigates the horror. And, the, and it's not, it doesn't show people suffering. It's done in such a big way. You know, just somebody lunging after somebody, and then you see blood spraying over everything. So you're imagining it. So that's one of the, the powerful bits. But then it's somebody saying, that was delicious. <laughs> so with comedy... With comedy and horror, it seems like almost always it falls on the side of comedy. I mean, you look at, um, and these are good movies, but like Shaun of the Dead, Zombieland. I mm-hmm. love Zombieland. I think they combine the elements of a zombie apocalypse well they with did the comedy. It well. Yeah. But I would never tell someone it's a horror. To me, that's it's a comedy. Um, Evil Dead, which that's one that was a little scarier, but yet there are these comedic slapstick moments to it. And the premise of it I always found scary, that there are these spirits in the woods and that are activated by this book, the Necromonica, which goes back to H.P. Lovecraft. But the way that it was filmed is, and and the acting and the, the special effects are so over the top that you get some distance from it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be some creature jumping out of a doorway and going and trying to eat you. But you know that there's a hero there, uh, Bruce Campbell's character, that somehow is going to, you know, he's going to end up bruised and bleeding, but he's going to defeat them in some way. So it's knowing that this isn't going to end up tragically takes away any sense of nihilism. And it's like, we've just got to beat these bad spirits. And that's where the, I think the, the Evil Dead actually did it pretty well, particularly in the first movie, of you're fighting something that seems so extreme and it's inhuman. And yes, it's your fault you let him out. You didn't have to do that. But there's, it's almost slaps, slapstick-like. And maybe that's why I don't like it personally, because it, it lacks the nihilism. It lacks the teeth of true horror. It lets you off the hook too easily. 
but some people prefer that. And maybe it's more approachable. It's not as scary as a straight up horror. Um, You're wrong. <laughs> Damn you, Elliot. <laughs> Damn you. Um, I mean, I, I'm not against the use of. <laughs> there's comedy. I'm not against the use of comedy or light moments in horror in general. I think it, it serves a purpose yeah. in terms of endearing the audience to the character. Yes. Because um, it, it homogenizes things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No question. And we put a value in society on being funny. Like, how many times have you heard someone talking about someone that you haven't met yet? Oh, you like them. They're funny. There's a value to that. And look at shows like uh, Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm. Funny shows. The characters themselves are awful people. Right. Extremely character flawed. Um, If we met them in a non-comedy setting, we probably would be very averse to these people. Mm -hmm. Um, But we get endeared to them because their situations, their reactions to them are funny. Right. And so, again, you know, humor does serve a valuable purpose. I just, I, I think it just undercuts the horror too much, though, when used too often. So, what other uh, genre combinations are there? Well, here's an interesting one: is most people don't think about it, but I, I think you could look at and make a case for the combination of horror and romance. And I've got two specific examples for that: one being King Kong. Because that was a classic monster movie, which we've discussed in a, in a previous episode. But it was a romance, too. It was a kind of an offbeat romance between a giant ape and a woman. But a romance, nonetheless. Now, I never really thought of King Kong as a horror film. In that you knew what Kong was like in the beginning. And Kong only got scary when he was taken out of his element. When he was king of the island. You didn't think he was scary on the island, though? They had this big buildup of, you know, the giant walls and he's coming and, you know, all the suspense of the, the drum beating and you're like, what is coming around this? Yeah, I, I, I see that. But it was like once you saw him, um, it's like, okay, it's this really big ape and he's all powerful. But he got humanized at the end. That's true. It, he did. King Kong ultimately is a romance. And... His and you empathize with Kong because when they have him chained up and they're they're displaying him, it's like this is abuse. This guy should not be here, and those that are doing it are going to be punished. Mm-hmm. In the end, the real monsters were the people. Yes, absolutely. And, is, he, and he's a tragic figure, and that's that. That's the lasting power of it. I think it was helpful that he was an ape too, so we can at least have some. We can draw some line from ourselves to this species. Had it been a giant lizard like Godzilla, that sort of empathy wouldn't have been there. But we, you know, we've evolved from apes. And so there was a humanistic quality uh, instilled in this character already to begin with. But then when when he started to act tenderly with, uh, I forget the name of the character. But, uh, I know Faye Ray was the actress. I don't remember the character's name. But um, that's when you start to develop empathy for him. Yes, yeah, Godzilla wouldn't have worked. I don't think his arms were long enough to hold her. You know, he's sort of like, you know, a T-Rex kind of thing going on. Right, right. Wouldn't have worked well. But there are other combinations. I think there's romance. And, there is romance yeah. in this. And also another horror movie, which is, you know, this is a classic horror movie that I would say is a romance, is The Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. And you've got this under, misunderstood creature, you know, human um, 
misbegotten human that is using music to try and charm his love. And it's interesting in Phantom, the, the whole reveal is when he takes his mask off and he's deformed. That's really it. Otherwise, he, you, you always know he's a person. Mm-hmm. And simply that, when, well, in the Lon Chaney version in particular, um, that he was ugly, that he was terribly deformed. But it's that image that makes it a horror film. That, But again, he becomes a, a, a tragic figure as well. And right. And at the time, this was a part of other, you know, universal monster movies. And yes. so it was categorized, it was lumped in as a monster movie. But again, the King Kong and Phantom of the Opera, I would argue that you're blending the genres with horror. They have aspects of horror. But again, one genre steals that primacy and it's that it's that romance element. And the romance element also runs through that whole Twilight series. Oh, yeah, I didn't see those. Well, I think it's just even the books and um, or the one that was on HBO was set in the South with an incredibly attractive vampire. True Blood. True Blood. Uh-huh. So with True Blood, you had vampires, but there was romance in it. They were human-like creatures, but... But there was a whole range of emotions, and they're trying to figure out how to regulate themselves and live in the world and, you know, keep looking incredible. And yet there was violence put in uh, to move the story along. But that was another one where it's, they're still vampires. But again, it's the fact that, the fact that they looked human, because Hollywood made vampires romantic, the way that they were portrayed originally, not just in um, modern times, but in literature going back hundreds of years, they were usually horribly grotesque, deformed, and it was Hollywood with uh, Bela Lugosi, and you know they became smooth-talking uh, counts in, in tuxedos, and made them much more accessible. So there's that approach and repulsion, repulse, approach and repulsion, and turning them into bats, that bats are seen as you know, scary, hardly, real, very unrelatable creatures, that that's where the horror element came in. And then through movies and, and through uh, literature, uh, they become romantic figures, almost really attractive figures that they can offer you an alternate, alternative lifestyle that could be really appealing. Sure. You live forever. Right. I mean, there are drawbacks with that. You have to drink human blood, but... And the other show, uh, What We Do in the Shadows, uh, another one that combines elements of horror and that they're vampires, and they do drink blood, and there is, you know, there, there is some killing, but they're also living in the, in the current TV version on Staten Island that have to deal with, like, roommate issues. And they're also... The humor is that they're all kind of naive, and there are, some of them are still kind of in their minds living, you know, 400 years ago when they were some other creatures. So it works in, if you accept the premise and you kind of go with it and recognize, I think, that you're not really going to be scared. There's simply elements there that are going to maybe be surprising at a moment or shocking for a moment. But ultimately, you realize these creatures are not, you know, they're actually they're the ones and and what we do in the shadows placed in these situations that they're trying to figure out the meaning of their life. Mm-hmm. They just happen to be arrogant and clueless. And now, so with those genres, agreed that especially with comedy, you go in with the premise of I'm not going to particularly be scared here. Right. However, I do think there is a genre blend that works pretty well, and that it still can be scary. And my opinion is that action horror can still have 
some bite to it. It can still have, it can be packed with action, but still instill fear. And so some classic examples of that would be aliens, James Cameron's take his sequel to the original alien. Right. Um, that was arguably an action flick. Absolutely. And predator along those same lines, you have Arnold Schwarzenegger fighting this monster in the jungle. So it's got that, that classic action hero trope, but at the same time, he's not fighting, you know, Colombian drug Lords or, uh, you know, kidnappers or, I mean, you name it, he's fighting an alien that is more powerful than he is that kills in savage ways and, you know, is hunting humans. So I think if we have one genre that is going to continue to prop up horror as genre mix, action horror is the one that is sure, makes sense. And, and speaking of aliens, um, the very first alien movie, which was, what was that? 1979 or right. Um, that was, could be said that that was a blend of sci-fi and horror, but, that was primarily a horror film. It was set in space. It had sci- science fiction elements, but that was a classic horror monster movie. Absolutely. That also combined elements, let's say, of the thing, because something is on board that you can't, you can't fathom. It seems to be smarter and stronger than you are. And then it also combined elements of body horror mm-hmm. and gore and you're fighting something that you don't know how to fight. And you don't see it at first. Like that film, you went, other than the chest bursting alien, you went long stretches without seeing the alien. You would see signs of it or a glimpse of its tail or something. But I don't think it was till the very end that you really fully saw the adversary that she was yes, facing off yeah. against. And that creates the power in a film like that. Because if you show your hand in the very beginning, then it's after a while, it, you kind of get used to it. Okay, that's that's what she looks like. But it's like, what could it be? How much more of it is there? And there are other uh, examples of sci-fi horror where, again, I think sci-fi is the setting or the element, but horror really is the primary genre. So I think that that's an important point, that for horror to be, horror can be played out in just about any element. It's really just about the element is the context, is the setting, and you can make it happen anywhere. You can, you know, you could, you know, do a traditional Western, but set it in outer space and it can work, but it has the elements of it. So it's, the setting is really the vehicle, you know, whether it's a deserted island or a big city. And then horror is the, is the real grist of it that creates the, the drama and the tension. You even have some examples that are under the sea, undersea stations, research stations, down at the bottom of the Leviathan. and all that. Leviathan was yeah. yeah, yeah. And again, it's it's like being in space. You're in another world and you can't survive just by, you know, if you leave your, your you know, space of safety, um, you're not survive under the ocean. Yeah. In some cases that works when you, you have your setting like Leviathan or your event horizon horror set in space. In other cases, it's just, it's the last resort for a hackneyed um slasher film so mm-hmm. like jason after they ran out of all the jason ideas they sent him to space <laughs> and that's it that wraps up our first season here at the horror analysis um i want to thank everyone for listening i hope that you found it interesting informative and i certainly hope that you come back for season two because we have a lot of interesting topics that we want to delve into and, and kind of take the show in a bit of a different direction 
So uh, once again, thank you for your continued morbid curiosity, and we look forward to seeing you in our second season. The Horror Analysis is a Frank Horror production and is brought to you by Frank Juknowitz, Elliot Rotman, and William Rizzo. Audio engineering and the original theme music to the Horror Analysis were provided by William Rizzo. Audio editing provided by Frank Juknowitz. Sound mastering was provided by David Parsons. The opening credits introduction was voiced by Christine Matshai. To learn more about our show, visit us online at frankhorror.com.